Welcome. You're listening to Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda, the podcast that pulls back the curtains in your mind. We like to shed a little light on why you're thinking what you're thinking. Everyone has a choice in life, in what and how they think. Together, we're going to focus on high-functioning habits. There is no more time to live with any sort of regret. Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda, the inspirational podcast for the inspired. Let's get into today's show with your host, Shelley R. Shearer. Hello world, Shelley Rose Shearer here and welcome to the show. Today I have the host of the Beautifully Human podcast, Nick Sheesby. He collects stories from around the world from beautiful humans. And a lot of this comes from his battle with recovery of alcoholism. When he decided to give a shit, as he says, if he lived or died, he chose life. He found the power in himself to get sober after drinking himself to the beginning stages of liver failure. He's been sober for over three years now, and he loves life. Nick, welcome. Tell us how it all got started. Uh, I kind of like to start it in the hospital and then work it work it back to where, where I got to. And... Um, it goes through with a lot of my message of, of, of just like looking at your life now, not, not when the worst is about to happen, but I, I had to look at my life and, and figure out if I had lived my life how I wanted to, because I was told I, I might not have another night left. And so as I was and sitting you there, 60, you were in your thirties, I you? was 33 years old. And so, um, yeah, it was it was one of those nights where I found massive empowerment to say if if I die tomorrow, I I at least did life my way. And some people would think it was a, a crazy way of doing life and maybe not their path, but it, it's a story of of just not drinking till I was 26. Yeah, I was always the person who was doing the crazier stunts than my friends, and so when they were the drunk people saying, dude, you shouldn't do this. I was a sober one saying, nah, I got this. I'm good. <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't want to get to where they were because I thought I'd be doing crazy stuff and I like extremes. So it was just like, I don't want to be that. And so when I started drinking, that's when uh, that extreme came in. And it's a good thing I didn't start drinking as a teenager because I probably wouldn't have made it very far in life had I started then. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, I still remember the first time I ever drank. I just loved being drunk. And so that was what got me in a lot of trouble in my story is that I just absolutely loved being drunk. It was just hmm. this feeling of my being myself because I had gone from an extrovert to an introvert and then trying to get back to an extrovert that brought that out very easily in myself. So yeah, it was one of those that, it started off as a really fun habit of mine. I was I was 26 and I was having my right. teenage years of drinking. A decade so later. I think, yeah, I think <laughs> everyone has fun at the beginning. Maybe, maybe everyone does, but they at least like have their college years of drinking or whatever. Yeah. And I had that really late, but um, the last few years was when it got really, really dark. And it, it just like went from this fun habit to seven days a week and every waking moment. And even when I was asleep, I would like roll over and how most people it's middle of the night, they might take a sip of water. I would have a bottle of alcohol and I would oh. take a drink. Yeah. Even, even in my sleeping, I was still 
having... the true alcoholism true, true where yeah. the body is just craving it constantly yeah and i was hiding bottles in my bunk i would put up stuff on the side of my bunk so no one could see that it was there and i would wake up in the morning and i would just fill an algae bottle with like rum was my drink by the end oh, because I, okay. I drank my way through every other kind of alcohol so that was the only one i could stomach at that point um so yeah it was yeah i'd wake up and i'd find some orange juice or whatever i mean coke or whatever it was and i'd pour it in and i'd have like half a bottle and of, of yeah. rum and half half of whatever mixer and i would go to work and i was i was highly functional i was working really really big gigs i was i was still touring and mm -hmm. that was the crazy part is i was on these big gigs and i was still drinking literally every day and then i would usually end up early at night because my gigs were usually like the vip realm where i was doing vip parties okay. so i'd be done before everybody else so i could just start drinking at seven o'clock at night and then i would drink till four in the morning till my body shut off and then i would be back up at eight or nine and, and did the industry sort of support that because when you're an alcoholic i mean even sometimes in the morning my husband i'm like you are just emitting <laughs> like it's coming out your pores kind of a hard thing to hide but you're yeah. in you're in a group of people where probably the majority of them are drinkers or heavy drinkers drugs whatever was it just sort of ignored e was it easier to hide or to blend in it was yeah it was easier to blend i mean okay. you office building might you know with three other people it's like oh dude that's yeah. gonna be a little more noticeable. Very true. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it is it is in a way easier to blend in because yeah, there are ten other people out there that are feeling just as terrible as you. Mm -hmm. Um but it's it's the industry that is a very like they're not going to tell you to not do something. It's it's do your job and then whatever else you do, that's on you. Gotcha. But just show up get it done and quit don't complain about it that's another thing right don't okay. don't don't complain about it don't say i'm so hungover they're gonna say not my fault like you knew what you were getting into today you got to do it like we can't cancel a show because nick's hungover right and you did you just got up and got the yeah. job done i just went and did it and just kept drinking through it so i didn't even wow. catch hangovers because i would just start drinking again so you were never sober <laughs> I was never, yeah, I was over. never sober. I'd just catch my buzz and keep rolling. And, um, yeah, it was wild that that's just how it went. And I mean, there were nights where I was just like falling over in random cities. And I, I mean, I think back to it and it's, it's just wild of the, the amount of cities and all over the world that I went to. And I was just stumbling through at mm. all hours of the night, like luckily i never got robbed or i was gonna mugged say or it's anything. Amazing. your team must have been full-time on you up there because yeah no kidding found in a gutter robbed stabbed you know, yeah i mean kidnapped. i woke up in Just... bushes i woke up in bushes and i don't know how long i'd been there and then i'd wake up in my hotel room and i'd be somehow had gotten there and um it's a really good thing that i flew home to ohio to see my grandfather before this because when i got there i made my mom and my dad and like scare like i made them cry i made kid uh, friends of mine's kids like scared to death of me because this is when i was starting to be fully jaundiced and i, right. I just looked sick and looked scary and the kids didn't understand and my parents were just horrified of what was happening so i flew home and had all that and then they were like you have to go to the hospital 
and I get to the hospital and the woman at the reception desk, she just said, I just have to tell you this because people are going to look at you because you are the yellowest person I've ever seen oh, no. in my life. And I mean, mm-hmm. she'd been in, <laughs> in the, in the field yeah. for 30 plus years. So that's a pretty big statement coming from someone that works in a hospital. So I was in a smaller town. I got all the tests they could do. And then this man who was a doctor there who he was definitely Eastern European, just so I could tell by his accent, but he walked in to the curtained off room and he just came in and he said, he's not going to make it in front of my dad and a friend of mine. And I mean, at that moment, all the invincibility, all the like, this can't happen to me, all the no way this is going, and any of those thoughts that anybody can have throughout life that some tragic happening, it won't be something yeah. I hear, just came slamming into me. And I was like, oh man, <laughs> this is really bad. Um, and I was scared. And they I hadn't was nervous. even done blood work or anything yet. They literally just looked at you physically and knew yeah. from life experience that you had yeah. crossed over a line that you were not going to come back from, according to their opinion. Yeah. And so after that, he was he he said, "We you you have to go to either Cleveland or Col- Cleveland or Columbus because they have bigger hospitals, mm-hmm. and they'll take care of you from there." And so. I ended up going to Cleveland and the first doctor I saw that was checking me into the hospital, I said, Hey, if, if you know for a fact that I'm dead and I'm not making it out, like I'm not coming into this hospital. Mm-hmm. I, I, I refuse. Like I, I won't die in this hospital bed. That's not how I'm going out. Like I will take every last dime that I have and I will go to the airport and I'll fly somewhere amazing and I'll get one of those wingsuits and I'll just like, have some epic movie moment and I'll fly over a fjord and go out that way because I'm I'm not going to do it in the hospital bed. And anyway, he finally was like, well, we can do like, we'll do what we can. I don't think you're going to die. And I said, well, if that changes, you have to tell me. I need very bluntness from you. Mm-hmm. And so they did like every test possible and they even had alcohol in the room for me because I had drank so much that right. they thought I would be coming off of it. And that's a really, really withdrawal, bad thing. Yeah, you, it's an yeah, awful you, withdrawal. You can actually physically die from coming mm-hmm. off of alcohol, which I had no idea. I learned a lot about liver resilience and alcoholism when I finally got to the hospital, but they kept me in there for three days and they did like every test known to man. And I, I mean, it felt like they had drained all my blood. Mm-hmm. Then on the third day, he came in and he said, all right, well, we are going to finally let you out. And I said, okay. And he said, and it's not because you're good. And it's not because you're healthy. We we shouldn't let you go, but we just, there's nothing we can do for you here. And he said, yeah, never drink again. Start eating right. Start exercising. Get yourself healthy. And he said, we'll check on you every month until you're either good or you're gone. So really, at this point, it was your choice. They yeah. weren't going to keep you a prisoner and keep you detoxed and keep you with yeah. good habits. You're not going to some spa. You had to make the choice how yeah. tomorrow was going to look. Yeah, it was like, it's going to start costing you tons of money, which it did anyway, <laughs> um, being there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, 
and they were just yeah they just put it on me and they said it's it's your choice now like you've gotten yourself here we've done what we can from here on out like it's 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 on you and my like i was past transplant level with my liver health i had to be sober for six months to even be considered to be on a list for transplants so yeah it was like this this part of my life where i had to look into look at the roads coming up and say okay i have been a alcoholic drunk person for seven solid years how do i move forward how do i function like my identity who i am my reputation everything is centered around this like all my money is spent all my time is spent drinking at bars and by myself Mm -hmm. how do i do this who who am i without drinking and were you in the music industry doing crew work then as well yeah so you're immersed in it no offense in an industry that is just known for sex drugs and alcohol okay yeah. oh totally. wow okay and to speak to that like it is an industry that no one will tell you no that's 100 right. for sure i okay. mean you do you and get your get your work done and and it is all good But what I found when I finally got back into the industry, once I was feeling better and felt, felt strong enough to go out was there's so many people in this industry that have had friends Mm -hmm. or worked for a band or whatever it may be that struggled with alcohol or drugs or died from it. You know, not, not a fun thing to have dealt to deal with, but I mean, in this industry, like there's so many people, I don't care if you've been in it for a day or for 40 years, you know, somebody who struggled or lost their struggle with that. So in that there's tons of sober people. There's an amazing, amazing, amazing support system. Even for people who are still struggling, they're not, it's not a peer pressure. It's not a, oh, you don't drink? Well, like if you tell someone you don't drink, they're more honestly thinking, great, more drinks for me <laughs> in a selfish fair, way. Fair enough. But you so, see, you were ostracized in your industry. You were, weren't unable to do your job. I can see that. I'm, I, I've always been a big believer in find your tribe. No matter where you are there, you are not alone. It's a huge part of my message. You are not alone. So yeah. you clearly made a decision and just had to change to find who the other people were. And they're yeah. there in that industry, you're saying very clearly. Totally. Yeah. I I didn't end up doing AA. I didn't do any program. I went I went to a one-on-one counselor in my hometown who is one of the greatest women and humans alive. She's <laughs> this beautiful hippie green, pink, purple hair wearing woman named MJ in my small conservative hometown and she's there for people like me in that town to help them, which is so beautiful. Another friend of mine who just saw me for me and knew I needed to get healthy, she worked mm-hmm. at the YMCA and she gave me a free membership. She had never drank in her life, but she knew I needed to get healthy that way. So she saw me as a human, which is so important when you're coming out of yes. it or into recovery or if you're in the midst of it, like to be seen as a human and not just the drunk or fill in the descriptor of whatever you see that person as, just yes. to see that person on the street that's struggling to your friends that are struggling, they're humans. And that's that's the most important way to see somebody and make them feel that's, that's a massive help. Um, but so three months in, I'm still looking not very good. I'm still looking very sick. I decide mm. to go back out on tour. 
and not only go back out on tour, but go out on tour with a notoriously heavy partying metal band. Gotcha. I knew that, and I, I kind of, as you can tell from the little bits of my story you've heard so far, I live my life in extremes. Yes. So this was kind of like, I'm going to do this. Again, I'm going to go about it the way I want to do it. I had so many people in my hometown, which fueled me to keep living my life the way I wanted to, saying, you should settle down. This is your time. Like, And I'm thinking, well, I went through all this, and that's not, I'm not, I didn't go through all this to just settle and good for like do that with my life. Right. So I go back out on this tour. First night we fly to Chicago, I fly to Chicago. I meet up with them and they're going to a bar because it's on a, that's where you meet when you're meeting a whole new crew. The first person I met who is now still a dear friend of mine, he was like, Hey man, what are you drinking? Common question. (laughs) Of course. And I just said, uh, sparkling water, soda water, whatever. And he goes, oh, you don't drink? And I said, well, I drink massively. And that's the problem. And it's brought me to the point where I cannot ever drink. So I don't ever say I don't drink, because I do. I have a massive drinking problem. I just cannot drink oh, <laughs> actively. That's a unique way of looking at it, okay. Yeah, I do drink, yes. And that, yeah, right. That's, that's the big problem of life for me. So right. when I told him that, he goes, oh, that's cool, dude. If you need to leave, if you got to get out of here, if you're feeling uncomfortable, just let me know and we'll leave. We'll go do something else. That's cool. And like hearing those words of like, oh, that's cool that I'm sober. It was like, oh man, okay. I can be in this environment. Mm -hmm. I can be the sober person. I can still have fun. And also I would hang out with the guys who were partying and then I would get them home safely. So it was like my karmic duty of me being all over the world and having people help me home that didn't know me. This was my time to be the person to get somebody else. Little pay it forward there now. Yeah, exactly. So also it was in no judgment whatsoever, but watching how they were, it would have been perfect for me four months prior. Right. It would have been awesome. It would have been the best tour I would have. I would have been just having, you know, the best time drinking my way through it. (laughs) But um, just seeing it, it, I got a a sober perspective on it for the first time. And I just thought, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. So taking that massive kind of irresponsible step, but doing it in the way that I've always trusted myself to do it, I learned more lessons than I ever would have anywhere else by going whatever it would have been in Ohio or wherever I would have been. Like I wouldn't have learned that I can handle that situation. And I had to do that. We don't for myself. learn in peace. And when everything's easy, we learn exactly. in trauma. <laughs> yeah. And clearly yeah. you knew yourself well enough to say, I still got to go. I still got to go live. Yeah. And I know that's a hard thing when friends and family that are close to you or sometimes not even so close to you want to offer opinions are like, no, you need to go now live a boring life. Stay yeah. the course. And it's like, yeah, no. Yeah, I didn't know almost died to go be, yeah, do that. (laughs) Exactly, to do, where would the message be? Where would the learning, where would the anything be if you gave up at that point? Yeah. Oh, good for you. Okay, so right out of the gate, the universe stepped in and said, hey, you're cool. Yeah, so I just kept at it. I I think the coolest story that came out of it, like massive self-empowerment, massive learning from this this crew crew of guys, but also there was a friend of mine who... um, who was um, working for one of the other bands and 
he and I had toured a bunch before, a couple years before that, and we were just really good friends, but really bad for each other. We had a lot of fun. And so he saw me and like, we didn't spend a lot of time together because we worked for separate bands. He was backstage, I was front of house and all that. So we just didn't run into each other enough. Flash forward to, I was, I was a year and some change into my sobriety and I finally got the empowerment to tell my story. Cause I was trying to figure out how to do it without, in a social media age where people just like give the little golf claps for, for right. you. And I was like, yes, I do. Anybody that's getting sober and coming into recovery deserves that. You should celebrate every single day that they stay sober. I just didn't, I wasn't trying to draw attention to myself. I was just trying to reach out to the people that were similar to me and in my situation. Cause you're looking for someone to relate to. Yeah. And what was the point of you going through this if you couldn't go help someone else? Yeah. Yeah. And for, for someone like me to sit there and then see someone like me also saying, this is what happened. I could go, Oh dude, I don't want to do that. So I write this, I write it out, I post it. And this dude, Sean writes me back almost immediately. And he's like, Hey man, I just, I just read through your, your write up and he said, I, I, I just wouldn't feel right if I didn't tell you, um, because I saw you and how well you were doing on that tour and that you were actually staying sober and like doing what you said you were going to, um, I'd wanted to get sober for a very long time, but I just didn't know if I could ever do it or know how mm-hmm. to do it. And he said, but I saw you and I, I said, if Nick can do it, I can do it. And I'm okay with that. If that's the standard of like, if Nick can do it, I can do it. Great. It I set a high bar. Your extreme was so out there. Do you think that was probably what it really yeah. was? Not about you, not as a human being right away as an individual, just looking in. Yeah. I'm thinking you were just so far. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> and he knew my habits. He knew how much I drank. So right. that was, that was the biggest part was he knew how crazy I was. Um, so yeah, he said, so I took the next tour I went on sober and he said, and as I'm writing this, I just passed my one year sober date. What was that like for you? I Other still than- almost am in tears right now. King about it. It's Aww. one of the most beautiful messages I've ever received. Cause it is, it is that moment where you're like, oh, okay, I did go through this for something. If that's the one person that I reached with my story, that's good enough for me. That's yep. cool. That's a good friend of mine who he just celebrated his two years a couple months ago. And he's you could have saved his amazingly life. well. He might have been three right. years down the road. And so now he gets to tell his story. And it, it's just, it's. When someone is going through that, when someone is at the point you're at, what have you got to say for them? I mean, thank you for asking that. Honestly, it's, it's a really, it's, it's such a wonderful part of the, the journey that I took for myself to be able to, to help people and and give advice and i mean my my story is a very big extreme it's it's a it's a very good cautionary tale of if you don't think you have that much of a problem just just think about your habits and and all of that and just to start start to think about it yourself like that's a big part of it like i tell my story so much because i know i didn't i didn't think I had a problem. I thought I was fine. I was high functioning. I was getting massive gigs and I thought I was good and I didn't listen to people. So if people are coming at you, I know it's really hard to listen to them, but like, take it, take it as, as a, 
as a caution. Think mm-hmm. of, think about where they're coming from and just that they want to help you. So I would say open yourself to some criticism. It's it's okay to to think about it every now and then. You should. And also I think the most practical thought process for me, I mean, immediately I had to stop. I put it in right. my mind. It was it was black and white. Hard stuff. Yeah. Okay. Cut and dry, done. Like, so in my mind, because, because I like to go to extremes, I put it in my head and at the, at the beginning of it, like I truly had no idea. I still don't know to this day and I'm not going to find out, but I I put it in my head that if I take another sip of alcohol, I will physically die. I will fall over. If I take one more shot, I will die. So that's where I took it in my head to get that, that really good strength in my head. But Mm -hmm that's not realistic for everybody, or maybe it is for you. And that that's kind of what you need to do. And that that's cool. But I would say give challenges to yourself mm-hmm. in in practical ways in your life. So say you're drinking seven days a week, right. and you you think that's too much. Try taking off Monday, give yourself one day, let yourself feel how your body feels that one day sober. If, if that's a step you can take or if you're out at a bar and you usually drink, say, four drinks an hour, cut it down to two and then wait an hour. Or take right. a drink, wait an hour before you get your next drink. Give yourself reasonable challenges to give yourself the ability to feel good that that you've met this. Or if you start drinking at noon, because a lot of us are still locked down and mm-hmm. I wouldn't and have made it. you're home and no one's there to judge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Other than I wouldn't family. have made it through quarantine. I would have died because oh, okay. I would have I would have drank myself to death. Like I would just never would have stopped. I wouldn't have had anything to do except oh, drink. And I would right. have done that. And I'm just saying that as an honest yeah. truth. Yep. And so say you drink at noon every day. Tell yourself five o'clock is your time. Or give yourself a realistic pushback of I can't start drinking at noon. I'll start drinking at three or five or whatever it is. Give yourself realistic goals to to help yourself, but also challenge yourself. And then when you meet those challenges, then you can be proud of yourself that you took a day off or you took five hours off of your drinking schedule that day. And I think those are realistic steps because not everyone has to get full sober immediately. You can work yourself to it and just like walk yourself back from that wall that you'll smash through if you do what I did. That's not the mainstream thinking with things with like AA and things like that. It's always that black or white. And I think that me personally, because I know I went through it in my own life, um, that deters a lot of people. Yeah. Whereas I'm always like, let's just start with what, you know, also with habit changes, people want to like change their life. It's like one habit at a time, please. Right. <laughs> you yeah. physically, psychologically cannot focus on a dozen things at a time. One. Yeah. And you'll give up. Right. When I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia and I couldn't walk across the floor for the pain in my feet, I went dry for a year because the meds made me so sick. I went yeah. off the meds, found my way. I don't drink during the week. Yeah. And now, it's annoying as it is, but I do say that because sometimes I want that third glass of wine when I'm visiting with friends, and but I can't. I, yeah. I'm two drinks. It was my birthday yesterday. Third glass of champagne, bottle had to go back in the fridge. Yeah. One, I need I need to be alert today to, to, to meet with you because this was a gift. And secondly, I don't want to feel like that. And right. it took me a while to find that parameter. So you really do encourage people to do that. Yeah, I think oh, fantastic. so. Fantastic. I mean, because everyone's journey is different, right? Yes. 
completely different. Like sometimes if you think AA is your way, go for it. Mm -hmm. All these, all these resources, if you are better with a one-on-one person and you need to talk to somebody that just won't judge you, that's fantastic. I did that and it worked far better for me. Someone at home did you? Yeah, with MJ. Right. I mean, but practical ways to just challenge yourself, I think is just giving yourself realistic goals and, I think we're all goal oriented people just of getting up in the day and putting on clothes and taking steps and like going to do your errands. Like you want to get stuff done. So give yourself a challenge that you can be proud of yourself for. Mm -hmm. I, I I don't say everybody has to be fully sober, but I, I just can't, I'm, I'm, I'm not a social, like have a one drink. I'm a 7,000 drink person. So I, I think that's the best advice I can give is just challenge yourself. Give yourself something to be proud of that is also making yourself healthier in your habits and just follow those steps. And if you feel better, if you don't drink till five, then push it till eight. Like get yeah. keep yourself uncomfortable too. And I think that's just a good life lesson in general, but especially if you're struggling with substance, get uncomfortable with it. It's far better to get uncomfortable now and get ahead of yourself than to get to where I got to and just roll the dice on if you live right. or die. Cause it's being on it's, a gurney in the color of the yeah. sun. Yeah. I'd rather, I would have rather challenged myself. And I mean, I can't say that cause I, I can't do that. So I, I, you know, I would it's hard, say, is it? cause you rewrite history in your mind with the experiences you now have. And that's where yeah. regret comes in and people need to let that go. Yeah. You can't know that decision. No. You didn't no. have the information. Yeah. Just challenge yourself, give yourself challenges in life, in your daily life, but especially with substance, like give yourself those, those challenges to be proud of yourself for. Oh, fantastic. Thank you for answering that question. It was very personal and, and it's not, like I say, there's always a different way of looking at things, but this has worked for you and you have such a a message of encouragement that that's great. Yeah. And also with that, like be open and vulnerable if you're starting to do that and let at least one person that you're comfortable with to keep you accountable. And I'm not Mm -hmm. saying like, I mean, that could be like your brother Doesn't need to or be Facebook your friend. for the whole world. Yeah, yes. like you don't have to say like made it one day sober to get the clubs or whatever, yeah. but like find one person that, that can encourage you with that too. And maybe they're struggling and like team up and be each other's accountabilities. You know, find, find strength in people because people are beautiful and people will help you. Even in an industry like mine, found people who when on my one year sober were jumping off of their forklifts after they stopped them to give me like the biggest hugs I've ever gotten. And it's really incredible the strength you will find when you ask for it. With your drinking habits, whatever it may be, just challenge yourself. Good. All that is fantastic advice. It's it's what motivated me to start telling my story more. It's what what started beautifully human it started out as a blog because i said okay i didn't re- like i knew there was power in my story and that's mm-hmm. why i was trying to shape it perfectly to write it the the, the dams of perfection right yeah right <laughs> i'm gonna do it i've got to do it right exactly no so i was like okay if i didn't know how much i was empowering and how how much impact i was having on the world then i bet you nine point nine out of ten have no idea as well so i started this idea and i wrote up a bunch of questions of just like like basic life questions tell me a story of life whatever 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 and i started asking people to be a part of this and i called it beautifully human because i wanted it to be not because we're all the most beautiful humans but because everything that makes us human is beautiful and makes us beautifully human our failures our successes all of that makes us beautifully human. And what really made me sad was 
the most common question was me. Why would, why me? Is this you asking yourself? No, no, no. When I was asking people to finally be a part of the beautifully human. Right. So they were like, why, why would you want me to be a part of this? Oh, to share their stories. Did you suffer from that a little bit at the beginning as well, or in your own life? Or you've, have you always been fairly confident in that area? I was fairly confident. I didn't, until Sean told me that, I didn't know exactly how big it was of an uh, impact. I was just more worried about like the language I use and <laughs> my, my opinions. And like I said, I come from a conservative area in Ohio. And mm -hmm. so when I start using expletives and it, it kind of, it was just that whole, like, how do I say this with all that in there and just not care and finally right. just be like this is me like it or not it is what it is good you will so, always find the right audience it's something i had to learn as well it's like why me because yeah. you can relate to someone that the other person can you can have exactly the same message yeah but that person's not going to relate to your story but this person totally. is and that's all that matters yeah so it was really cool because yeah i would get that that why me question why would you want me to be a part of this beautifully human blog and i was like because you because you have a story because mm -hmm. your story has power i don't care what you do or where you are in the world or what what amazing successes you think you've had or not had somebody will relate to it absolutely and it was beautiful because like every single one i would get to learn more about my friends and i found out how much i didn't know about them which uh -huh. is kind of funny at the same mm -hmm. time and then i would laugh i would cry every single one because it was just beautiful people were really opening it up opening up themselves and so it eventually just worked its way into becoming a podcast which also stemmed from my love of traveling and meeting people all around the world also it stemmed from i'm in the states so there's just been a mass amount of ignorance and hatred coming out of this country sadly but it just, it just fueled me to say, okay, I want to have these conversations. I want to have good, bad, ugly, really tough. I want to learn more about humans in general. Right. Because I don't know anything. And I need to be more open-minded on every facet of life. So it just turned into this exploration of let's have these conversations. Let me hear your story and your life and just talk to me and let's see where we relate let's just have a beautiful conversation and that's how beautifully human podcast came about was like i had my partner on for the first one and then we met this beautiful woman in um estonia when we were there and then she came on the podcast and she speaks russian and estonian and her third language was english and then we had a full-on conversation and it was just like oh fantastic yeah, it was so cool. And it, it was like, I wanted people just to hear these conversations as a fly on the wall. And then if you were still judging this person, there's a mirror for yourself too. Exactly. That you have to look into of why you're judging this person. Perfect example is like, I had a conversation with one woman. We were about 40 minutes into it. And then it came up that she was a lesbian. And I was like, I bet some people had 40 minutes of just this is amazing and then if they heard that that would turn them off and they'd mm -hmm. be like nah. and then it's like okay you've liked 40 minutes of this person's conversation and now you find out one part of her life that doesn't affect you in any way shape or form and if you don't like that person now that's that's a big that's a big mirror you need to look into yes. and those are the kind of conversations that i want to have and just 
make people listen. And so my target is my conservative hometown. I don't think it's my target audience because I don't think they listen, but it's that kind You'd of- You'd be surprised. True. Yeah, it just turned into this mission of like, I love humans. I love people. We're all beautiful. We're all different and we're all weird. And it's it's yes. just really beautiful to let somebody tell their story and actually listen. It's really powerful to just listen to somebody and let them share who it they is. are. And I really believe the globe right now in general, the world, humankind is coming to a much bigger awareness. That doesn't mean it's the majority. I just think there's a large enough group of us out there that are more aware and more awake and we yes. are searching for information. And that doesn't mean we're not going to sit and, and listen through everything through our filters. It's just when I'm teaching the habits course, it's about understanding your filters. Then you yeah. can remove one. You just remove them if you need to. Because your example about the lady that's a lesbian, that is fantastic. Yeah. So I saw the cutest thing the other day. Do you remember, um, you might be a little too young for this, but the 60s song, uh, Long Haired Freaky People Need Not Apply. It's COVID. <laughs> We can't find staff. Long haired, freaky people may now apply. And I, oh my goodness, I had tears in my eyes. I was laughing. My husband walks in and goes, What are you incredible. laughing? And I'm like, You got to see the sign on the window. <laughs> and yeah. oh, that was fantastic. But it's so true. We have all these judgments and all these, like I say, filters. I call them the filters. I learned, luckily, I learned about them in my late 20s. And it changed my life to understand how I was viewing the world. That's yeah. life. And that's what does make us very unique. I love the name of your podcast, by the way. I yeah. just, and it never even once hit me that you were talking about physical beauty. So the fact right. that when you explained that, that didn't even occur to me. He's talking ah, that's about awesome. people I love that. and how beautiful they are. Yeah. And I, I just think when people hear beautiful, they auto, you know, you automatically think of like beauty and I'm like, man, yeah. there's so much beauty out there, dude. There's yeah. just, people are beautiful. Like their brokenness, they're, they're, raw vulnerability their struggles it's all beautiful and we're all we're all going to have those we're not exempt from that what do you think was your biggest learning during this year and i i don't talk about COVID a lot but this was it isn't even just about the COVID. this year of the universal lockdown where people got isolated from each other people really realized i think a lot of people that i speak to anyways where some of their unknowns and their own personality and what they need what they need as another human being because all the distractions were removed. And I wasn't alone, luckily. I tell I, my listeners know that because I live in a very unique place and I had my little bubble and I didn't really care what the politician said. My bubble was safe, I was safe, and right. we were careful. Yeah. But I don't believe in isolation because I even though I'm an extroverted introvert and I have to be alone to recover, I do I have never believed that man is an island. We don't thrive in that environment in any way, shape or form. And you've been, you're a perfect example of that. You had a tribe when you were drunk and you got a tribe now that you're sober. Yeah. Those are two opposite lifestyles. Definitely. But you still had needs as a human being and you went out and made sure they were bad. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think it was really, there were, there were a lot of really good silver linings to this, right? Where mm -hmm. think of how many times in life we've all said, Oh my God, I, can life just stop for a second? Right. Can we just slow down? Then it's not the breath that we wanted, but it might be what we needed to just take a look at. Is this what I want to do in life? Because yes. I think that's a beautiful realization that you can come to at any age. I mean, we live in a greedy society mm -hmm. that you can go and do what you want and give it a shot and it might work and it might not. And the, the, Oh, like the one good thing I see about a greedy society is that you can come back and start making money again. 
absolutely if you go and fail it's a mindset but yeah go go try something crazy and fail go do something ridiculous i mean my partner and i in the music industry we got locked all the way out we had right. no work for 14 15 months at this point which was crazy i'd never had that much time off from touring and traveling i mean that's something that is in my soul is traveling because mm, i okay. get to meet people i get to see cultures like i know that i need that like when i get on a plane to go to iceland in a couple of weeks like i i the the like oh, that's gonna happen is going to be real i'm gonna probably tear up and it's gonna be <laughs> yeah. amazing so we decided because she's in the music industry as well oh, okay that we are gonna buy a camper van yeah so we we just looked at it and we were like this is the first time in 15 years that we've both had a chunk of time right that we both knew we weren't working so it was like i've always wanted to live in a van for a little bit same <laughs> with her and so we bought a van and we went and socially distanced 10 miles from anybody we kept our distance i mean we we took all the small roads and we went mm -hmm. through tiny little towns and i mean we just took our time and we were out for four months in our van and it was awesome and hard and all the things you can think of when you have breakdowns and i don't work on yes. vehicles so i have no wow. idea i look like someone who doesn't work on vehicles too <laughs> so when i'd go to a shop they knew that they could mess with me so it was all a whole learning curve of just like let's just go and like be free and enjoy and take this time to do something we've always wanted to. Awesome. And so that was, that was really rad. And then we got home and now it's been like six months where we haven't traveled and it's like, okay, it's time. <laughs> totally. So do you think people should try and fail? Yes. Yes. So do I. Without hesitation. If it doesn't work, I'll sell it and we'll do something totally. different in two years. Should we have spent, the money that we spent on our van last year when neither of us were working at all no sure we're fine and like you said we've talked about it it's like if all goes to hell then we'll just sell the van and it's worth some money so um well i, I was just gonna say i'm a what? massive proponent for go and do if you've wanted to do it go do it if it's spoken to you for a while take that chance give Absolutely. it a shot if COVID has taught us anything it's very very short mm -hmm. the time we have here and it can stop at any point do you think those are your two catalysts you know between the alcoholism and the the pandemic that these were the things that sort of had you look at things a little differently yeah, yeah. absolutely and and i like i said i got i got to have that beautiful little realization that night of if i die tomorrow i i did I did life. I, I was able right. to say that. And I, I, I challenge anyone to be able to say that that is a really hard place to get to. It's not an easy one, yes. but just look at your life and, and what, what's, what's important and, and what's, what you're looking at. And I mean, it's really beautiful when you take those chances. I mean, yes. like had I not gone out on that tour three months into my sobriety, I never would have met my partner. I never would have gotten the call to go on the tour that I was on. And just a quick little brag, when I was doing my one-year sobriety, I was loading out a Rolling Stones show at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California, which is nuts to think wow. that one-year span of time, I went from 
thinking I was dying in a hospital bed to working for the biggest band in rock history, and roll. Really, or, yeah. in, his, in history, really. In history, yeah. Not even just rock and roll, just <laughs> the biggest band. Exactly. And it's take those chances. I'm not saying something crazy like that will happen, but your version of a crazy, beautiful happenstance will happen. So Exactly. But you also don't know. For me at my age, because right? I'm a little bit older than you, is I've watched my father pass away this past year. And the aunt and uncle we just bought the motorhome from, he's in palliative care. And so we went up oh, to see man. them just for the last two weeks. But this past two years has been amazing because I have spent real time with yeah. them and was there. And I have nothing but good memories. And I saw him the last day before we left and I laid on the bed with him and I said, I'll see you on the other side, right? I tried not to cry. I failed miserably. Of course. <laughs> <And>, um, <laughs> I tried to be strong for him because he's known he's dying for, for a number of years now. And he sure, did yeah. so well for so long. But those were my catalysts and everyone's catalysts are a little bit different. And I really yeah. encourage people to please look at your life. The other thing too, I struggle with, and I, I like to have your opinion on this is so many people are afraid of the unknown. In other mm -hmm. words, I should have done this. Um, I had a guest on my show a year ago, Shelly Paxton. She wrote this great book, how she left corporate America. And she says, we should all over ourselves. And that's what I felt as well that we do. And I was even doing it to myself this past year. I didn't watch Netflix the first three months. I took every course I could imagine. So I was still exhausted. I was like, what yeah. are you doing? Breathe, breathe. <laughs> so this is my year to really reassess. But my catalyst for me has been a lot of elderly people and dying. And I'm just yeah. thinking, this is not going to go on forever. And we have no guarantee. Right. So what are we doing? Following I mean, this lineal time of you have to be doing this, should, 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 should die. Yeah. Live for the weekend. Take your weekends. Take your, I mean, here it's two, two weeks a year, Come mm -hmm. on, two weeks a year to travel. And most of the time you can't even get those at the same time. So you have to do a right. week and then come back. It's, it makes no <laughs> sense to me. I, I saw, I heard this quote that I think is really beautiful. And it said, it speaks to what you were just talking about. And it said, envisioning yourself in the future is a very hopeful thought. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So I think that's a really beautiful sentiment to, to look at life and I'll couple it with one of my favorite song lyrics is snails see the benefit, the beauty in every inch. And when you think about it, it's really, really unbelievably beautiful. And so for me, that was when I was getting sober and starting into my, my recovery was I had to figure out life. I had to find literally the beauty and everything to keep me from going back to what I was doing. So I had to relearn how to travel. I had to relearn mm -hmm. how to communicate with people. And I, I found the beauty in it. So yeah, it, it, it you don't know what's coming. You don't exactly. know what tomorrow brings. So why, why would you wait? And like, why wait till you're 65 to go travel when the best parts of your life are now? I mean, go, go do it. Like, that's right. You're I not agree. going to regret taking those chances. Like no. at the, on your deathbed, like I know what I was looking at and I was looking at 33 years of life. And I mean, you don't have to be, you know, in, in your eighties or to look back in, in your life, you can always look back into your life because it's your life. Don't waste the time now and then look back and say, yeah, I should have gone like take yeah. the time now to take those chances and truly live your life. Cause yeah, like it, it, we, why go just this one way where you have your this, 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 and this, it's like get weird with it. 
go go enjoy it's it, there's so much out there to see there's so many people out there sure people in traveling are tough right now but as we're moving forward it will come back and from my standpoint when i was looking at life and thinking i was dying i would have regretted not taking the chances that i did take i right. know that fully and i'm so happy that i didn't have to because i just went i went for it and i did it awesome nick yeah. your story is incredible your gift of encouragement is amazing i love your website because to me that says i don't know about you but i always feel a little bit like what i give back to the world in my podcast and things is actually my journey because what i learn i teach so yeah. this is me not living in regret and and partaking just being in the world without you know necessarily always having to be when i say of the world sometimes like you say there's just a lot of craziness out there a lot of evil and darkness but i don't have to live in that no and it's not my job to be there my job just to be light so yeah. clearly you have that same attitude and is that how you feel about what you guys are doing you and your partner this totally. is your life in recovery as well this is just how you live it every day and get better at it yeah yeah, yeah i mean and I, I think I think people get bogged down into how am I ever going to fully change the world and change all of it? And it's like, it's a big, big place. And that's a really scary thought to have. But what is a really beautiful thought to have is you can you can change you and then the people around you and mm -hmm. you can put that ripple effect. Like our conversation will have a ripple effect to the Absolutely. people that listen to it and they can take bits and pieces from it. So it is a really beautiful way to to give back. I mean, I knew when I didn't lose my life and now I, every single day that I don't, I want to put more beauty in the world because I see what I don't want. I don't want a world that is hateful. I don't want a world that is ignorant. I don't want a racist world. I don't want any of this. I want people to be accepted because they're human. So I that that to me means I'm going to have conversations with everybody. I'm going to spread as much love and beauty and i'll put my peace signs up all the time and i that that is where i'm at like i've been very fortunate to make it to where i have with what i put myself into because a lot of people don't make it out from that exactly especially staying in the industry that you stayed in i'm yeah. sorry but that just the odds totally. really weren't in your favor right none of it statistically yeah, it was... doesn't mean they weren't in your favor as the human being that you exactly. are with everything you bring to the table but statistically yeah. that is yeah i mean i think my doctors were just really happy to see me doing well because in in the fight against alcoholism it's a losing battle i mean they want to do good but most of the time it's sadly a losing battle so I fully know that I'm very fortunate to have the life that I'm living. And so that's why I'm not going to be quiet about the things that I believe in. I'm going to stand up for the people who can't stand up and I'm going to spread all this beauty in the world. And when I go, I want it to be that I did as much as I can to change the parts of this world that I can. What we do, that's what I do every day. I try to, I try to just spread that love and kindness and acceptance and life is really beautiful and it, it, it can be lived in a way that that is helpful to others and just like be human and, and love each other it's really it's it's much easier to love than to hate thank you so much for your message and for joining us here today um oh, thank you i'll have everyone i'll have all his information in the show notes and it's just been an absolute pleasure thank you 
We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda. Stay connected with us directly through livingwellwithshell.com and Instagram at livingwellwithshell. If you would like to speak with us, please send us an email through shelley at livingwellwithshell.com. And as always, thank you for pushing your mindset towards a better reality. This concludes the most thought-provoking portion of your day. Thank you. And remember, willpower will only get you so far if you don't have a plan.